Hello everybody and welcome to Into the Pray. This is a teaching session today from a live event that I was speaking at this weekend. I didn't have time, sadly, so apologies to prepare 1 Corinthians 14 City of Temples material as well as what I was doing. So I thought you would like to listen to this session, these couple of sessions actually, in Luke chapter 21, focusing on what it means to be alarmed rather than just alert. Apologies for the background noise. The window had to be open at my end, so you've got builders maybe a little bit and birds in the trees, but I needed some oxygen to breathe. The other thing is just to say it's slightly longer than usual today because it's a morning of teaching chopped up, so I've tried to condense it for you, but I trust that it will be both encouraging, comforting, and also provoking towards the primal heart cry of the Spirit. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. The devil wants that. On the one half is the blessing camp, and on the other half is the repent camp. That's what the devil wants, okay? And that is what's happening. But actually, it comes back to this misunderstanding of what it means to to know and worship and love a good God. Is that the blessing is the repentance. God, for all intents and purposes, needn't be there. And we need to recapture a sense of the godness of God, the greatness of God, the majesty of God. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Greg. Greetings, everybody. Welcome. It's good to be here. It's weird, isn't it? Never, It never becomes not weird, meeting like this. Um, but it's a joy. It strikes me, and I'll say a little bit about this in a minute, just because I'm, I'm not going to assume that everybody knows about myself and my wife, Mary, here in Edinburgh. Um, but it's a joy to meet together. You know, for us, it doesn't happen much because of our context of being called out, quote unquote, and I'll, I'll touch on that in a second. So it's just a joy. It's a miracle, isn't it, to be able to just kind of connect with all these different homes. I think there's maybe 40 homes here. So it's a blessing. And um, I'd like us just to look at Luke 21 today at length um, with a couple of particular focuses. But as I say, I'll, I'll just I'll mention a couple of things first. I'm just going to pray for us before I say anything else. Let's just pray. Precious Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you now. We we want to express our thirst and hunger for you now in the knowledge that you promised to fill us. And Father, it's our desire as we come before you in Jesus' name that we would uh, know the fire of your spirit, the unction that comes regardless of age, regardless of years saved, regardless of any physical weakness, any mental limitation, we come in the knowledge that you can quicken us this morning to hear your word, to hear what you're saying. Thank you that you raise the dead. And our hope is in, is in you this morning, Jesus, the resurrected one. Pray for great shalom, great peace on everybody as we look at your word now. May your voice be clear, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said amen. I'm assuming everybody said amen, even though I can't hear anybody. <laughs> Let me just uh, introduce ourselves a little bit. Mary would have been here with me today were it not for a bad back. Um, bless her, so she would be sat here, but... Um, Mary is um, a teacher in Edinburgh and um, 
we've been here for about seven years and it was it was back in 2019 so approaching three years ago now that I released a book called Body Zero I'm not I'm not plugging that because that book is several years old now some of you will have read it some of you will have never heard of it but that book being brought into the public sphere was a point at which we had made a public statement in effect that we were no longer able to at a conscience level remain within the denominational expression and current understanding of what it means to quote-unquote go to church or even be the church. We were at that time in July 2019, we were um, in an Elim church as a Pentecostal church. And in, in making that statement and in coming away, 2 Corinthians 6 talks about, as everybody will know, being unequally yoked and unequally yoked with unbelievers. Um, one of the things I want to say today about that passage, we're not looking at it at length, is that I think it's a wrong assumption. I think it's a dangerous assumption that just because you go to a church building on a Sunday morning at 10.30 that you are, by default, equally yoked. As though being in a church building or being under a under a, a shepherd, under a pastor with other people means that somehow we are automatically equally yoked. I, I think that's a wrong assumption and I think it's a dangerous assumption. Um, I, I want to talk to what I want to bring today from Luke 21 is really to speak into what I what I perceive to be what I would call nominal Christianity at large within much of the church many churches up and down the country. There are, of course, faithful companies of God's people, including here this morning, all over the place. But I'm talking about in terms of the established church, in terms of what is represented by the average steeple on the average skyline of an average city across this country and across the nations of the West. I think there is a lot of nominalism and therefore an assumption that if you're in a church building on a Sunday morning, you are equally yoked and you are with people who are also believers and I think I think that's I think that's a dangerous assumption and I think it's a very difficult assumption to try and get people to think differently about so 2019 was the point at which Mary and I became publicly um I suppose known for calling the church to repent about denomination specifically um um so if you've not read that book and you'd like to, please let me know. We've just done a new print run and we can get those to you. So that's that. The other thing that we're doing recently, Karen had asked me a minute ago what's going on. Well, one of, one of the things that I've personally been convinced about over the Christmas and New Year period from the life of J.C. Ryle, I don't know how many people have read much of J.C. Ryle or um, I can commend highly. I don't have it with me here, I'm, I'm afraid. Ian H. Murray's biography, he wrote that in 2016. Paul, I don't know if you reviewed any of, of his writings from Banner of Truth. Um, wonderful book on the life of J.C. Ryle. I think it's entitled um, Prepared to Stand Alone, which I think is a very telling title and indeed why I was drawn to, to the book. But through the life of J.C. Ryle, we've, become, we've become convinced that we need to... Um, reach out more intentionally to the thousands of people that live near to our house here in Edinburgh. We're in a suburb, in effect, of, of Edinburgh. We're kind of just out of the city centre on the south side. 
And in the last two years, particularly, we have literally been surrounded. You might hear some background noise at the minute um, by housing development in every direction. We are surrounded by cranes and diggers and um, what have you. And thousands, literally thousands, quite possibly into the tens of thousands will have emerged in this vicinity. And so J.C. Ryle was prolific, for those who don't know, with this kind of thing, tracts, gospel tracts. So we've just produced a new gospel tract. I just wrote this last week, actually, very hot off the press, so to speak. It's actually just a, a mock trial version. And I've entitled it simply Repent Now. And then there's a little PTO. He loves you. Repent now. We should all know the repent, the first word of the gospel. It was good enough for Jesus. It was good enough for John the Baptist. It's good enough for me. It's good enough for us. Repent now. He loves you. And it's 12 short pages, really, of what I feel is what needs to be said. And we're, we're straddling here. We're straddling the church. We're straddling believers, nominal Christianity, um, who I think, in a sense, need to hear the gospel again. We all need to hear the gospel every day. We should all, I think, preach the gospel to ourselves every day. But there is there is a world of people who've never heard the gospel. So we're straddling these two realities, and that's in an inescapable reality, I think, of what, Greg, you've just been talking about in terms of the travail of the days in which we're living, and that will only surely increase as the day draws nearer, whether in our lifetime or not. And so I've written this. This is This is... For, for people primarily who've never heard the gospel, but it's, it's also um, bringing an apology for the state of the church. If you think about your average neighbour who's never heard the gospel, never been to church, I quite understand being completely turned off from any kind of quote-unquote religious material or going to church on a Sunday. Why would you? One of the things I touch in here is that... the the steeples in Edinburgh, we have 300 plus churches. And if you've been to Edinburgh, you'll know the skyline is very famous for its, you know, it's a beautiful city full of church steeples, which were originally built to point people, literally lift people's heads. And we're going to look at that now to heaven, to, to eternal realities. That was the original purpose. So when you see a skyline dotted with church steeples in centuries gone by, you know, it's like a finger pointing to heaven. John the Baptist, I must decrease, he must increase. I'm not. In, it's not about me, guys. It's about Jesus. It's about the Messiah who's coming after me. All these steeples. And so my question in this tract is getting people to think about how faithful are those steeples? If if the vertical, if the verticality of a steeple was representing the faithfulness of each of those 300 churches in Edinburgh alone as one city in the UK, how many of them, if they were faithful, would they be more like that? Would they, would they be vertical? Would they be more like that? Like the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Or would they perhaps be more like that? Or perhaps they'd be more like that? So if you're interested in that as a, as a resource, because I don't think we necessarily need any more gospel tracts being written, I think we need to get real. And indeed, the first section in this is... I don't know if you can see that, a reality check. Let me just read you the first paragraph of this to give you a flavour. And this this will, I'm hoping, upset some people in the sense of disruption. A reality check. This is the very first thing that folk will read after having seen Repent Now. He loves you. The gospel, repent. 
He loves you so much. You will never know his love unless you repent. And I, and I would say for the church, the lukewarm church today, who actually aren't really interested in what the Lord is saying or interested in his return, repent, church. You're not going to know what he wants us to do unless you adopt a, a different posture. This is the first thing that these guys will read, apart from quoting Jesus' words in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? These are the first words. We are living in days in which our children are being taught in school that they can choose their gender. Pornography is safe to, quote, experiment with. Creation is a fairy tale. And that God himself is either dead, aloof, or a hateful terrorist. Our children are being taught in school that they can choose their gender. And this is true. In, check out the curriculum. In Scotland, it is particularly true that our children can experiment with pornography, that it's good and healthy to do that. And how dare you say anything to the contrary, you bigot, you hateful religious bigot, if you challenge that. And that God himself is either dead, aloof, or a hateful terrorist. I think that's the kind of language that people who've never been to church, who don't believe in Jesus, who have never repented, need to hear to understand that the church, the true church, call it the remnant or whatever, have understood the hour in which we're living, which is that the church generally are not faithful and that therefore why would you expect your neighbours to be in church on a Sunday morning? And indeed, what happens if somebody becomes a Christian? Are they going to be able to go to one of these 300 churches in Edinburgh and find faithful discipleship, faithful biblical teaching, faithful Christian community? I would be very concerned that that wouldn't happen. And so what I want to talk about today, that's just by way of introduction. We've got some other stuff going on. We're doing Bible readings live on YouTube for those of you who want Timothy 4.13 devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. And so we're doing that. We're using this kind of technology. Uh, last weekend, we read through the whole of the book of Jeremiah, which took four plus hours, um, exhausting, but glorious. Um, we won't be reading major prophets every week necessarily. We might read the book of Philemon or Titus next week. Um, but the point is we're reading publicly because we believe it's an opportunity for the word of God to be proclaimed but also to to fuse prayer and intercession into a, into a place like we're doing now. Um, with the greatest of respect, you know, meeting together, how, how much more powerful would it be if we came to read the scripture out loud, knowing that that is the furnace around which we pray and intercede for some of these things that I'm touching on here to do with our, the state-sponsored abuse of children, our children. So we've got that going on if you're interested in that. I'm, by the way, I'm prepa I've prepared and I'll send this to Karen afterwards so that you can, all of this is in note form. So you've got that with a link so you don't have to make notes or whatever. It's all there for you to refer easily to. Um, and just finally, I think since the last time we met, I came here and it was, a, again, a great joy. We've produced podcasts we, that that's part of our main ministry to be honest and there's about 150 podcasts called the podcast is called into the prey into the prey breaching the chaos of the church and that that is a mixture of um interviews 
guests, solid biblical teaching. We're in 1 Corinthians and have been for the last year, I think. City of Temples is a series through 1 Corinthians. I've had some really interesting conversations on that podcast with people like Gavin Ashenden, for those of you who will know, or Michael Nazir Ali, both of whom have recently converted, whatever that means, to Catholicism. And I've I've responded to that very strongly. It's lovely to have spent time with with both those guys. Actually, they're lovely, very lovely, lovely guys, very lovable men, gentle, winsome. Um, anyway, I'm taking too long here by way of introduction. That's all there. If you if you want to go ahead and do that, we have a Patreon page. If you're interested in supporting us, we have a very small team of five people. If you want to join our little team of supporters, we would be very grateful. Right. Um, could someone just tell me how long I've got? Because I want to go into Luke 21, and I'm conscious that there's two two um, sessions. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Let's, um, let's see where we go. I, I wanted to give a bit of time for questions and answers as well, because I'm, I'm conscious that that I... It just would be good to talk and to hear what your th- all of you are thinking. Um, yeah, it probably helped my train of thought if I can just crack on with this and then do some Q and A at the end. But I would love, I'd love that not just to be a token thing. Like, let's do that properly because I think that might be really rich. Um, I I I, do, I would love to know what what you're all thinking and and to defer to your your eldership in that sense. Um, I can't see anybody's face at the minute because I'm looking, at, but I appreciate that everybody has has been around a bit longer than I have, and Mary has. So it would be good to know what you're thinking, and I, it's a burden on my heart as I've prepared this to 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 wonder that. How are you? How are you doing? In the house, in your homes, in your houses, in the in the rhythms, twenty twenty one's gone. We're now in this new year. What what's going on? We know about the state of Russia and Ukraine this morning. We know about heat prices, we, energy prices, and so on. But beyond those things, that I want to touch on today. How are you? Um, prayerfully, how are you? In in the sense of what is your expectation? What what do you discern? the Lord saying to yourselves, to your nearest and dearest, to the church, to the nation, to be able to think a bit more a bit more broadly. What have you become persuaded about in the last two years particularly? What have you become convinced about? One of the things we've become most convinced about, as I alluded to, is that denomination is not a neutral problem. It's not a neutral issue. Denomination is an actively detrimental, obstructive reality in the church coming to a place of true repentance, I believe. We produced a film, and again, this is linked in these notes, called Calling Yeshua, Yeshua, um, summer of last year. And in short, uh, well, I won't go into that now for time, but what, what have you been, that's what we've been co- become convinced of. So if you want to look at that seven minute film, you can do that. The maze, the reality that denomination is, it's not a spectrum, it's a maze. We are, we are all, in a sense, lost in this corporate maze of denominationalism. Let's just agree to disagree on that. That doesn't really matter. Um, if they're saying something that's polar opposite to what I believe the Bible says, it doesn't really matter, does it? It's a maze. We're not on a spectrum. We're in a maze. And until we recognize that, 
Um, so that's what we've become convinced of. But I'd like to know what you guys have been com- become convinced of. We This place that we've been called to, Mary and I, and I know that that will be probably true for all of you today as well. It's a, it's a difficult place to be in. It's a lonely place. That sounds cliche, but it is. That's what I was saying earlier. I don't get to speak or meet with people like this regularly. It's a lonely, but it's a, but it's also a sharp place. It's a sharpening place. It's a quiet place. It's a place where you le- learn to lean on the beloved. Some songs eight, I think it's chapter eight, verse five or thereabouts in Song of Solomon. Who is this that comes out of, who's coming out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? What a beautiful picture that is, should be, of every believer in this land through the last two years to have learnt in a new fundamental way, I think, in, in some ways, to have what it means to really lean on the beloved from the place of the wilderness. And that's what the wilderness is for. And it, it, it's a place, the reality that we're in, the loneliness, you know, it's incompatible for many Christian leaders, for many pastors particularly, with godly character. Many Christian leaders, many pastors will, will view the conviction, and it is a conviction at conscience level by the Holy Spirit, that this is faulty and need to come out from that. Many, many Christian will, will just that's just not godly character. There's a fundamental issue there, and I've touched on that. I don't want to say any more about that, the whole thing of liberalism, progressive liberalism, and Christian nominalism. Um, but it's into this context of the commonplace nominalism that I'd like us to look at Luke 21 now. With that in mind, it's a very familiar passage parallel to Matthew 24, obviously. I don't know about you, but my Bible through these chapters tends to be so heavily marked that I struggle to read the actual printed text. Matthew 24, Luke 21, parallel passages. Mary and I have just done a, a reading of the of the Bible. We read the whole Bible in January in 30 days, 31 days. Um, which, which again relates to what I was saying about our commitment to the public reading of Scripture, and one of the, this is the passage that I felt um, from Luke twenty-one. I felt very stirred by when when we read these passages. It's very because they're quite familiar to us. Um, there's a danger with that, isn't there? You know, familiarity breeding contempt, etc. So perhaps the most pop, perhaps the most well-known verse of Luke 21 is verse 28, 28. Let's just have a quick look at verse 28. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. The guys on the streets with the placard boards, your redemption is drawing nigh. You know, it's, it's almost so well known that people who don't know the Bible know, know that verse. Um, I want, I want us to think about straightening up and raising our heads today. And I'm going to do my best to try and go through this content in two sessions, but it may just, uh, I may get to the end of it quicker than that. And then we can have some Q&A. What does it, what does it mean for us today to straighten up and raise our heads in the knowledge that our redemption is drawing nigh? What, what does that actually mean? What does it, what does it mean that we should do in 2020 to it? What, it? 
what does that actually mean that we should have done in 2021 or even 2020? Um, I want to try and answer that with three points today about alarm. I want to talk about alarm, being alarmed. Um, I heard somebody, I think it was, a, I think it was Louis Giglio, for those of you who know, he runs a ministry in America, Atlanta, I think it is, and, you know, massive, massive influence over particularly young student type age people and he had, he was talking at actually from Matthew 24 and basically one of the main things he was saying is guys it's it's important to be alert but we shouldn't be alarmed and indeed Jesus it, depending on what translation you read here you can read these passages and and I think it's understandable to come to the conclusion that Jesus doesn't want us to be alarmed but I want to I want to bring a different um i want to bring something different to that obviously not to contradict jesus in any shape or form but rather to show a bit of shed a bit of light on what he actually means when he says that let me do a quick overview of the chapter so looking at again depending on what translation and you've got you've got verse the first four verses you've got the poor widow classic passage cracked out for offerings to provoke a bit of generosity Verses 5 to 9, Jesus then speaking of the temple, his body. Verses 10 to 18, you've got folk, this is Luke 21 we're talking about. Wars and persecution. It's eerily, it's eerily relevant, isn't it, this morning? wonder what the news bulletin will be today or tomorrow morning. The destruction of Jerusalem specifically, verses 20, 20 to 23 to 24. Jesus coming, verses 25 to 28. Jesus' own lesson from the fig tree in verses 29 to 33, and then this warning to watch, which I think is probably the most cliched application from these passages, isn't it? We don't know when Jesus is coming, but we should be watchful. And generally, I think, and this is what I was saying about the, the, the session with, with these ten, you know, thousands of students, Louis Giglio, we should be alert, but we shouldn't be alarmed. And I'm not sure that's true. I think we should be alarmed, and I'm going to explain and, and qualify what I mean by that. I'm not going through the whole passage, and I've not read it out, but I am going to focus on just a couple of passages within the chapter. So I'm wondering, as I said, what, how are you doing? What are you thinking about? What are you becoming convinced and persuaded about? And I think from Peter's epistle, and this is what this is what I'm, I spoke about from this passage. This is the first time I ever spoke publicly, and I was in, in my teenage years from one from two Peter three eleven. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? That was his question. What sort of people should we be in lives of holiness and godliness? 2 Peter 3.11. What, what sort of people should we be? And I think we should be alarmed. Jesus, when he talks about not being alarmed, I think it's in Matthew 24, I think, or even actually look at verse uh, 9 here. The time is at hand, this is Jesus, and when you hear of wars and tumults, do, you, do not be terrified. We certainly should not be terrified. Jesus is very, this is what Jesus is saying. Don't be terrified. Do not be frightened. Do not have your peace stolen, etc. But does that mean that we shouldn't be alarmed? Some translations don't use that word. 
doesn't doesn't say do not be alarmed in every translation. So in reflecting on that, I, wa- I want us to think about what it would mean to be alarmed in the right way. Listen to this quote from Karl Barth, and this is a theologian from the time of kind of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm not commending his theology generally fully. He's a, he was a, you know, he's a reformed Calvinist chap, and that's largely good, but can have pitfalls. But listen to this quote from, from Karl Barth. This is, again, 1930s, 1940s. So not that long ago. As I look back upon my course, I seem to myself as one who, ascending the dark staircase of a church tower and trying to steady himself, reached for the banister, but got hold of the bell rope instead. To his horror, he had then to listen to what that great bell had sounded over him and not over him alone. He reached for the banister but got hold of the bell rope instead. To his horror, he had then to listen to what the great bell had sounded over him and not over him alone. So thinking about the message to to thousands of students saying we should be alert but we shouldn't be alarmed, I'm not sure that's true. I'm not sure that's helpful. What a powerful quote that was, that is, the, the notion of the alarm ringing above oneself prophetically, and I can testify to that, and I want to just allude to some personal testimony about the way that the Lord will do that. When it's, I think when it's truly prophetic, there, when, there is, when there is something of prophetic um, sharpness, clarity, truth, there will be a, a fleshed-out reality of that in the person's life speaking. We should know that from Hosea. Think of any of the prophets, but I always think quite quickly of Hosea and the particular pain that he had to embody um, before the Lord trumpeted through him. And so with that in mind, should we not be alarmed? When you know, when a storm hits, we've had some storms here in Scotland recently, people without power for a few weeks, should we not be alarmed when there are storms or when our he- health fails? I want to allude to that very openly and transparently in a minute with my own health. When Jesus' name is dishonoured, particularly by the church, should we not be alarmed? doesn't mean to say fr- I'm not talking about being frightened or fearful I'm talking about being alarmed um when the enemy invades should the ukrainians this morning not be alarmed at the imminent threat of invasion of course they should of course they should to say we should guys we should be alert but we shouldn't be alarmed i don't think that's i don't think that's at all what jesus means and i don't think that's at all how the church who are truly on her knees at this point should be. And I think generally, largely, the church are not alarmed. The church generally are celevi. The church generally are, we've adapted digitally. Let's crack on. Let's 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 proclaim the glitzy gospel with very little, if any, repentance or lament. There's no alarm. So keep in mind Karl Barth and his kind of accidental pulling of this of this bell rope. And the horror, listen to his words, to his horror, he had then to listen to what the bell had sounded over him. And this is what we see. This is what we're going to see now in this passage. Horror. The fear of the Lord is a, is a very unfamiliar thing to all of us, including myself. The, the sense of the New Testament fear of the Lord in our midst Three points, the right kind of alarm that there should be disruption. That's the right kind of alarm. The world, we're going to see this now. The, the world and the church 
disrupted beyond recognition. That's important to, to see that. Greg, I think you just alluded to that a minute ago. More change to come. You know, peace, peace, where there is no peace. That's what we're hearing, particularly this week. Peace, peace, where there's no peace. Coming out of lockdown, businesses are returning to usual. Inflation is increasing. So number one, the right kind of alarm is disruption. Um, where the world and the church have been disrupted beyond recognition. Number two, alarmed and light, or in other words, alarmed and peaceful, not troubled, not frightened or fearful, but alarmed, alarmed and light. And then finally, awake, the third kind of alarm is awake and praying, specifically praying for strength. So let's look at verses 25 to 26 particularly. I'll just read these and see where we go. Um, So jumping down to verse 25, and there will be signs. Try and imagine this. Okay, this is not poetic language. This is literal. So not for yourself. You're thinking it's very unlikely I'm going to be here when this happens. That's okay. But your ancestors will be. Your children or their children's children or what have you. Imagine what this will be like. And there will be signs in, in, in sun and moon and stars And on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear. People faint with pain, don't they? Typically, the human body wants to faint and shut down because of pain, but with fear. Can you imagine that? Fainting because such is the fear. And with foreboding of what is coming on the world. That's one of the phrases. Foreboding of what is coming on the world. It's not, it's the process of that which is coming. We are in it now. We're in it for for sure. No doubt. Our children are being told you can choose whether you're a little boy or a little girl. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Let me just give you a little bit of subtle shade of meaning from the Amplified on those two words particularly. Verse 25, perplexity in the ESV I'm in. I don't know if you're in the NIV or something else similar. Perplexity, in the Amplified, it it renders it like this, bewilderment and perplexity, without resources, left wanting, embarrassed, in doubt, not knowing which way to turn. (laughs) Do you feel like that? I feel like that a lot. Don't know which way to turn. Because of the confusion and, and the contradiction and the unfaithfulness in the church and the attacks that come, if you say anything about that, if you say... I believe the Spirit of God has given me a conscience level problem with that and the tax that come and the isolation that's inevitable. You know, which way do you turn? This is this is more than just one word. This is where we struggle in the English, isn't it, from the from the Greek or the Hebrew. It's just like it's it's often much more multifaceted. Perplexity. Or or in verse 26 here, where it says in the ESV, fainting with fear and foreboding of what's coming on the world, the Amplified says, men swooning away or expiring with fear and dread and apprehension and expectation of the things that are coming on the world. Men swooning away or expiring with fear and dread. and appreh- That's not the kind of alarm I'm talking about. But neither am I saying that we should just be alert but are not alarmed. There's, there, are, there are different kinds of alarm here. 
One is rooted in this exquisite knowledge personally of Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. You would walk off a cliff based on your conviction that he, his shed blood has saved you for all eternity and that he's coming again. And then there's this kind of swooning or expiring fear from people that don't know him. People for whom when Jesus returns, they would still rather not repent and call for rocks to bury them. So there are different categories here. And I, I want to I say this gently. I'm aware that sometimes prophetic unction can, you know, I've done some teaching if you're interested in recent weeks about the waiting of Jeremiah, not the waiting as in waiting for a pizza to be delivered, waiting as in the balance of Jeremiah's life, the, the four verbs of pulling down and uprooting to the two of planting. And so I'm aware that, that things can feel harsh and maybe overbearing or whatever, but I want to say this gently with the tenderness that is part of it as well, is that is to ask this question, and maybe it's worth writing down and, and not looking to necessarily try and answer immediately, and also to think about having conversations with other people who may often talk to you about why are you not in church or what, you know, is this question, shouldn't we all be disrupted? Shouldn't we all be testifying to disruption? I think there's a profound problem if after the events globally in the last two years, if there is not a sense of disruption, there is something very seriously wrong. It's like a, I would liken that to a, a patient in an IC unit in a hospital, intensive care unit unconscious, unable to breathe for themselves, not compassmentous. How vulnerable are they? And I think that's if, if we're not feeling disrupted personally and at the level corporately, there is something very, very sick, very, very diseased going on. This I just want to, if it's okay... You know, I appreciate I don't know any of you personally, but I just want to go back to about my own sense of disruption, which the last couple of years, my health has been terrible. And particularly the last 12 months, I've, um, without going into all of it, my, what I eat, what I've been eating, food has just, my body has rejected. It's made me very sick in a number of different ways. Um, and that became particularly bad with another development Um just when was it in October, having had about a year of quite a lot of pain with with another issue related to food and my body rejecting it and so on, and then this uh, this other uh, problem that gave me even more pain, more pain than I've ever had in my life, and I can say that without without exaggeration, it was the most painful thing I've ever had. And um, during that period, there are two things. Firstly, that I've been disrupted at the level of um, what. What are you saying to me, Lord, through this? When I'm not able to eat the things that I would really love to eat. And I'm not talking about luxurious things. I'm talking about bread and butter. <laughs> There's very few things as good as bread and butter. And to have not been able to eat bread, normal bread, or um, the things that we might like and consider to, to be treats whatever they are for, for you individually, cakes or chocolate or crisps or 
a Chinese takeaway or whatever it is. You know, all these these things that so often we are anesthetized by much more than we would be aware or, or willing to admit. I've had to go through this process for the last year plus just praying. And it's not necessarily that if you've got a problem physically, of course, that means ultimately there's necessarily a spiritual problem, whatever. But I've I've been aware of that that level of disruption. So that was the first thing. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8. Man shall not live by bread alone. We say it. We sing songs about it. Do we believe that? We love our bread. That's the first thing. The second thing is that during that and all that pain, I, I experienced one night, um, I fainted because of the pain. And I've fainted maybe once before in my life. I'm not prone to fainting. And I was in the bar. I'd got up during the night to go to the toilet and had fainted. And like I said a minute ago about an intensive care patient, I was in, you know, I fell, I banged my head. It could have been a lot worse. During that fainting episode, I, I, it's very difficult for me to put into words. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, not meaning for a second that I kind of went to heaven or anything like that, but the fear. I don't know if there's some, I'm sure some of you will have fainted, but there was an experience within that where I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was fully here. And of course I wasn't. I was, my, my brain was, had switched off, was trying to reboot. But I, and I, but mentally there was something that happened and I, you know, I, I, I fainted once or twice before in my life, but this didn't, hadn't happened like that before. And so this time it felt, it felt different and it just felt exceptionally frightening. Um, I remember at the time actually just trying to think about Jesus, just thinking of the name of Jesus. And even in that moment of fainting, it's, it was almost like I couldn't think. It's very difficult for me to explain what I mean here. But as a visual aid, I think, of what Jesus is, to, is talking about here, this fainting with fear in verse 25 people, and 26, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what's coming on the world. Um, I think this world is, as Greg alluded to, is going to become increasingly alarming, even when people are saying, peace, peace, everything's getting back on track, which is what we're beginning to hear now. Make no mistake, the travail that's coming upon the earth um, is going to be increase, only increasingly alarming. The parallel passage, Matthew 24, if these days had not been cut short, what, is, what did Jesus say in that chapter that Matthew recorded? that all human life would end. It would be an extinction event. And if it wasn't for the elect, so we should be calling for Jesus to return. But it's also with the reality that Amos, Amos is worth reading, is it not? Is he not? Woe to those who long for the day. Woe to those who long for that day. I mean, Mar and Arthur, that's what, when I, when I see reports of the Ukrainian travesties, 60, 70 years ago, what do you say when you hear about people murdered or 
Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. It's the only thing you can say. And not just for yourself personally. Come Lord. I, I want you more than Lord. I want you to come. I would prefer you to come now than for me to somehow live my best life yet. And whatever. Come Lord Jesus. It's the, it's the crying of the spirit of, of Romans 8.15. The spirit or Ephesians 1.13. We've been sealed for the day of redemption. The day of redemption. The capital D day. And again, how can we not be longing for that day? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But you're also praying, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, for the sake of all those people who have been mistreated, abused, all the injustice, you know? Amos, but woe to, but woe to those of you who long for that day. <laughs> what are you supposed to do? Amos 6.1, what does Amos 6.1 say? Well, woe to those who long for the day, but also woe to those who were, who were at ease in Zion. So there is a bittersweet reality here, but we can't underestimate, and I think it would be wrong to not be alarmed in peace. We, mu we must, what does it mean for us to straighten up? That's our, t our root text here, verse 28. Jesus saying, lift up, your, raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. What does it mean for us to, well, I think it means that we have to be alarmed. But, and this is sec the second point, alarmed and light, or in other words, al alarmed and at peace. Let's look at our second little mini section here, verses 34 to 35. Let me read them to you. This is Jesus, and this is this is in this is the passage that really you know that beautiful sense when you know the Lord is speaking to you. This was this was it for me a few weeks ago. But watch yourselves, lest your eyes, sorry, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. That's basically overindulgence. So keep in mind what I was saying about food and how we manage and rely and lean and whatever the things of this world and food make no mistake our world is saturated in the idol of food and drink it's comparable to sex and gambling and food is up there let me start that again but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation or overindulgence and drunkenness and cares of this life and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap in Matthew 24, it's like a thief. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Can you imagine standing before him? But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down. Weighed down. This is the kind of alarm that the world will know. Those who don't know Jesus. The, the kind of alarm that's characterized by fear, unbelief. Um, my concern is for the nominal church. Those who go to church religiously every Sunday. Those who would whatever, even to be in a position where you know the rudiments of the gospel and, you know, you might pray, you might read your Bible occasionally, but are you really praying for strength to stand? Um, the point here is simply that we should be alarmed 
but light. Let me just read again for the, the amplified version. Um, but take heed to yourselves and be on your guard, lest your hearts be overburdened and depressed. I've been depressed. You know, never been on medication, but we all, we all get depressed. We all experience anxiety or mental illness. You know, I've, we did a whole series on that. Some of you will know the Bothy sessions in 2018, I think it was. We did three or four films about mental health and being a Christian. Being in, being in this world, but not of this world. <laughs> being in this world, but not of this world. It's the, it's the Christian lingo. But what we're saying, listen to what we're saying. We're saying we are, we believe that we are in this world, but we're not of this world. We're of another world. What does that do to our carnal minds? The flesh and bone are kind of, you know. So Jesus is, is, is aware of this and he's, he's not wanting his covenant hesed people to be weighed down with that kind of alarm, with the giddiness and headache and nausea of self-indulgence, drunkenness and worldly wor- worries and cares pertaining to the business of this life. And what, what, what worldly worries weigh, weigh you down? There'll be some things that weigh us down <laughs> on a daily basis. It's like you just have to keep on batting some things off. Sometimes other things will come in a new way where they weren't expected and you kind of, maybe you can just deal with them decisively. But each of us have things that tend to weigh us down. What are those things that weigh us down that he would want us to know a sense of release from in order that we can be alarmed about the world in which we live in the right way, the hopeful way, the peaceful way? He doesn't want us to be concerned about heating bills or health or our relatives or our wayward children or he doesn't want us to he doesn't want us to be weighed down or, or depressed by these by these things. Listen to Matthew 23:4. This is the other place where that word weighed down in the Greek, which is very used very rarely. And this is the only, one of a, only a few places where it's used in Matthew 23, where Jesus talking of the Pharisees says they, they, bind, they bind heavy burdens, laying on them men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Weighed down. But remember, remember Jesus' words in Matthew 6, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. And this is for us all today and maybe for some of you particularly. Are you not more valuable than they? The New Testament principle, if that being true, therefore how much more is this true? Are you, are you listening to me? How much more valuable are each of us to the birds of the air or the lilies of the field who are catered for abundantly? How much more? So what does it mean? This is what we're asking and we'll maybe break here. Um, I don't know. I'll save this next bit for the... For, what, what does this mean for us today to straighten up and raise our heads in the knowledge that our redemption is drawing nigh. Well, it's to be alarmed, 
in the way that I'm describing, but also to be light. So if, let's, let's um, finish with this, this last point, which is really to do with prayer, that I wanted to pick up on Jesus' words in the second of the two sections in verses 35 and 36. I'll just read those again. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. It was the phrase that particularly landed on my heart. This was a number of weeks ago after Karen had asked me. And obviously, you know, in the moment you know you're going to speak, you want to, you don't want to just speak your words. It's the last thing I want to do. I'd rather sit down and say nothing without unction or a sense of conviction. It's this, this verse 36, but stay awake at all times praying, not just generally, but that specifically you may have strength to escape all these things. And to stand before the Son of Man. Prayer. As I mentioned, our podcast is called Into the Pray. And um, the subtitle of that, by the way, is Breaching the Chaos of the Church. Um, So the the, the two alarms I've mentioned, the the alarm of recognizing disruption beyond recognition in the world and in the church, this kind of alarm that's light at peace, not frightened, and yet is still unique and is still alarmed. And if we want to talk about that more, we can. And then finally, this third one, awake and praying for strength, that kind of alarm that, and I think that perhaps is a good way of thinking about it as well as thinking of alert, being alert and being alarmed. How, how might our prayer lives differ um, if one was alert as opposed to alarmed? Um Sorry, guys, could you just make sure that your microphones are off? Because I'm, he- I'm hearing some noise that's a li- little bit distracting. Um, thank you. So thinking of strength and praying for strength, thinking of uh, Revelation 3, just before Christmas, we did a, a vlog, a video series with, I think, about 15, 16 church leaders. Um, essentially, I interviewed interviewed them, um, asked them some questions about... Um, specific focuses and then cut that up and edited that into I think there was four or five different videos if again if you're interested in seeing what other church leaders we had people that most of you will have heard of Andrea Williams who heads up Christian Concern she joined in with that um, it's in a series called to the church in Great Britain to the church in Great Britain and you might recognize that as a kind of play on words from Revelation to the church in Sardis, for example, and it was to the church in Sardis in Revelation three. You'll remember where Jesus said to the to the church there specifically to strengthen that which remains and is about to die. Very very kind of like sobering words, and I, I think of that as I think of I think of that context of Jesus stood amongst the lampstands, desperate for his people to repent somebody mentioned about our first love um doing the things that we did at first so on and so forth 
And so it was it was in this video series with these church leaders to the church in Great Britain. Um, that was that was the burden for that. It was to get people, as many people as possible, but specifically people leading churches to think about that um, command of the Lord in that context, which is to strengthen that which remains. And there's a, that sense of the risk of it dying if that doesn't happen. Um, that's the Jesus we don't like. It's the Jesus that people don't know about. You know, the Jesus that will remove the lampstand if the repentance doesn't happen. He, sta- he stands amongst us in great mercy. It's such a beautiful image, isn't it? Even now, of course, uh, slow to anger, abounding in love. And yet there is a reality that he will remove. And so when Jesus says here in this passage, here, it, it caught my attention to that he's saying, pray specifically that you may have strength. This is this is what's going to be required when these things covered in verses 25 to 26 and indeed the rest of the chapter, when they happen. Strength is the order of the day. Um, he, he talks here about being having strength, again, not, not just generically, but to what? To escape. There's a sense there for me as I read that in which, I don't know, it's almost like running a gauntlet, isn't it? You need the nimbleness and the agility as well as, you know, to, in order to avoid being swept away. We know that the love of many will grow cold. If you read, I think it might be the Amplified, says the love of most will grow cold. So these are, these are you know, there, there is an alarm sounding here. Um, I'm just going to read this. I just want to read this quote from Karl Barth again because it it really helps to to, to, to underline that. Listen, just let me read it again and, and then I'll move on to this last bit. As I look back upon my course, I seem to myself as one who ascending the dark staircase of a church tower and trying to steady himself reached for the banister and got hold of the bell rope instead. To his horror, he had then to listen to what the great bell had sounded over him and not over him alone. So this alarm, this sense of horror, this sense of the fear of the Lord, I think, this sense of the imminence of eternity. It's not for us to respond to. It's not Our alarm isn't for ourselves alone, although it is, but it is also for others. I think for far too long the church have not been alarmed. I think the only reason we wouldn't be alarmed today in the way that I'm describing is unbelief. Do we really believe that what we're reading here is going to happen? Do we really believe that there are implications of half-heartedness, lukewarmness, Again, from the book of Revelation, we know that there are. But this, this uh, to, to pick up on the ladies, sorry, I forget your name, about, about the future and what does it look like, you know, I think it looks profoundly prayerful in a way that, what does the church look like? Well, I think it, I think it does look like coming around the word in a way that I don't think we ever have. I think it, I think it looks like praying in a way that we never have. Um, I mean, imagine if you were in Ukraine this morning how, and you were in a, a church there, a house church there, you know. I doubt you'd be meeting up for a walk in the park. I think you'd probably be meeting up to pray and with, and with a certain kind of spirit, you know. Um, into the pray. 
Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach the church to pray. Teach us how to cultivate prayerful homes and devotion and, and proclamation. And again, that's part of the reason why I mentioned my book. I give a whole chapter to prayer and habit. I call it habitat loss. And I think, you know, I think it's just that. Um, our, our most natural habitat, as it were, is the place of long, lingering, intercessory prayer. And I think generally, I know I'm speaking in absolute terms, I think generally we know very little of that. So I think just to finish here, um, I want I want to just make, I think maybe mention just one more thing that I noticed about this passage that I hope will help. Remembering our... Our anchor verse, verse 28. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up. And when I read straighten up, it makes me think of Luke. Do you remember what, what was said of John the Baptist, that he would prepare the way of the Lord? And if, you, and if you remember what that specifically means, it means that the high places will be brought low, that the low places will be brought high or brought up, and that the crooked places will be straightened. This is why we it's worth seeing the film Calling Yeshua because this is this is what we believe is happening with regard to denomination as a straightening of that which is crooked and confusing and disorientating for folk. Which way do I go? You know, like who, which doctrine do we believe here? Some Christians teach this and others teach that, you know. Some Christians mock doctrine because it's not important. Just preach the gospel, brother. Um, when you see my notes from this session today, you'll notice, and this is just for your notes now because I'd commend it to you. I, I spent, I don't know, three or four days before Christmas writing an article um, from 2 Timothy about the importance of doctrine in terms of not everything can be true here. Not everything that we think is, you know, that's being broadcast as being rubber stamped because it's coming from a, a church leader or a party. Paul's final writing from a prison in Rome, and he emphasized a number of things, suffering being one of them, in interestingly, the Lord's return, but the other was doctrine. And so I just encourage you to read that, um, particularly if you've got concerns or disquiets about your own context or the context of those who are near to you. So um, that's in the notes. Um, it's an open letter to the church. Um Verse 28, lifting up, straightening. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Straightening, that's what I was saying. Straightening. And I think that's what's going on, okay? And so it strikes me here in verse 28, Jesus giving the encouragement to do that, to lift. It's a lovely thought. It's a lovely picture of being encouraged. Where does my help come from? And our perspective continually needing to be altered, fixing our eyes on our saviour, not not having our minds fixed and, you know, all of that that I've covered in the previous session. But it struck me that if you look back at verse 1, okay, so this is the bit that I kind of skimmed over to do with the widow. Again, it's classically the passage or one of the passages that people want to pull out for, for an offering or what have you. Um, but look what it says in the very first words there. Jesus looked up. And what did he see? Jesus then Luke records what Jesus saw himself. So in verse 28, towards the end, in the midst of the chaos and the travail and people fainting for fear, 
the alarm. You might think, well, that's incidental. For me, it caught my attention, and I, I noticed I noticed this focus here. Jesus looked up. What did he see? Well, he saw rich people, and he saw people giving from the abundance that they had. And he saw a poor widow giving everything that she had. He then sees the, and again, this is parallel with Matthew 24. Um, and we know from Matthew 24 that if you look at verse 4, sorry, verse 5 of Luke 21, and while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings and so on. So we know that that's the disciples. If you read Matthew 24, it says that explicitly. So these are, so Jesus has looked up himself, okay, and he's seen the rich, pot, you know, the, the offerings from the guys who've got everything. And it's it's a picture of half-heartedness. It's a picture of coasting. It's It's not worship. You then see the poor widow, and it is. This is this is powerful, potent worship for a poor widow to give everything that she had. And uh, you know, and you see, and this is what I was saying earlier about nominal Christianity, which I think is the mainstay of so much that goes on at the minute. Nominalism. Jesus' disciples evidently with their own interest in the external things, you know, the impressive temple, the architecture, the the sun shining off the certain materials and the impressiveness. You know, in, in Britain, we have our own versions of pomp and ceremony, don't we? Um, but he, even evidently, even his disciples were somewhat enamoured with these things. And it was the poor widow that that just struck me here as a good place to finish this, just in, in terms of thinking about not the poor widow as a picture of generosity at the point of taking tithes and offerings, but the poor widow as a picture of the church at the end of the age who, what does Jesus say in Matthew, in Matthew 5? That the blessed are the poor in spirit for what? For they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. They will in- inherit the kingdom of God. And I think it was that was where my, my mind focused most as I was think, wrestling with this thing of being alarmed as opposed to being alert um, recognizing that there's something profoundly wrong if we're not disrupted ourselves and conveying and expressing and asking questions from and, and being prepared to listen. This is the thing I think that strikes me a lot of the time is that I can tell when people are sobered, you know, seller. I can tell very quickly with people whether they've come to a place of being prepared to listen. That's the refrain in, in Revelation. We know that. Um... Blessed are the the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Um, The picture that this woman, it's helpful to just imagine her compared with, you know, the rich wandering around with wads of cash and just throwing liberally because it doesn't matter. And, you know, and this this uh, this lady's um, was it two two coins or something? two small copper coins, you know, the care with which she would have put those in. The cost of that, 
the preparation that would have been required. You know, these are two cops. This is all she had. They would have been in a safe place. She would have made sure that if she put it in her pocket, it wouldn't have gone through a hole. You know, she would have been careful with this. Of you know, and for me, it's a picture not of not of generosity in an offering so much as a Christian, someone who's seen the Messiah, seen and understood the coming King, and he's all in, and that that's reflected by a prayerful posture of wholeheartedness. We're not, I don't think we're supposed to be looking at the temple and thinking, gosh, how, how, that's, that's jolly good. That's, that, isn't, that, isn't that a lovely church building? Isn't it wonderful? Subtle, subtle categories here, but I think, I think that's where my mind rested as I prepared this for, for us today is, is to think about what that widow is, is saying to us beyond the cliched way in which the, the verses or two, Jesus himself. Now, when these things began to take, straighten up and raise your heads and you, because your redemption is drawing near and Jesus looked up himself and this is what he saw. And I think in some ways that's the categories that we're in. We're in this, we're in this kind of like religion that's no religion at all. Nominalism kind of attracted to all the things that we've traditionally been attracted to, buildings and whatever, schedules and and then there's this beautiful image of this poor widow and she just is longing for the inheritance of the kingdom of god and um i think that i think that is is the posture the picture of to finish on our verse here uh, staying awake at all times praying and recognizing that as we read that i think we've got a lot to learn about what it means to be a company and even individually what it means to pray lord teach us to pray that you may have strength to escape. And the poor widow is not a picture of strength. Sorry, it's not the rich and so on. We tend to think of those things as the strong things, but there's this mighty woman in the midst who puts those two copper coins in. There's a picture there of great strength, the kind of strength that might get easily knocked over in the natural, fall on the street or get mugged by some criminals. But I think who would have strength to stand before the Son of Man. Precious Jesus, we worship you. Thank you for the songs bubbling up now in, in the hearts and in the minds of your people. Thank you for the new song that you've given us today. We bless you. We exalt you. There is no one like you. There's no God beside you, Jesus. You're incomparable. Lord, you know when our minds faint. You know when our minds and our knees wobble because we struggle to take you in. We read, when we read your word and we struggle to absorb it because it's so infinitely great and beyond anything that we can imagine you know when we struggle and lord I, I simply pray by your spirit today that for us all as we think about these words as we look at the world and that you would you would by your spirit communicate to our innermost being in such a way as to almost by as a way bypass our limitations of the flesh 
And I pray particularly in, in the minds of those today who may be worried or alarmed in a way that they're not meant to be, that they would know the shalom, the, the peace that passes all understanding. Grant to your people today, grant to us peace, that shalom in the name of Jesus that is also alarmed and living in that way that you mean us to, alarmed and, and light. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to support the work we're doing, as mentioned, if you want to support the public reading of scripture that requires time and the content ongoing, please do see our Patreon page to become a patron in the show notes.